Good morning, church. Uh, it's a, a pleasure to be up here with you this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Logan Shields. Uh, we just got here from Portugal three weeks ago. So it's it, 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 very exciting and an honor to already be uh, sharing the pulpit with other men like Ben and Lance and uh, to be bringing the word this morning with you. It's really a pleasure. Uh, when we first had our daughter, our first daughter, uh, I remember the delivery room seen so well. And you probably have that same experience if you've had kids. Uh, the first ones are always the, the nervous uh, moments that kind of leave strong memories in your mind. And I remember the, the nurses kind of started doing the spankings and the weird baby gymnastics and scaring my daughter to make sure everything functions right. And then finally I heard those words. I was like, okay, dad, you can hold your baby girl. And I remember them bringing this really dirty but beautiful wrapped up naked thing to me and and they quickly handed her off and was slow down, oh gosh. I was so nervous and scared of everything, right? Putting her into the first car seat took like 40 minutes and you're driving home 10 miles an hour. Like, what are these people doing? And I remember holding her and, 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 it, and it just overcame me that moment. Like, I'm a dad, wow. And soon after it came over me again, oh my gosh, I'm a dad, oh. And it hit me, I started thinking about it. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I have no clue how to be a dad. Same thing happened in, in marriage for me. We, we dated just under six months and got married. And you know everything's just rainbows and flowers at first, and then we had our first kind of silly fight. And afterwards I realized, I was 21, Abby was 18, and I was like, I have no idea how to be a husband. Like, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm going to have a family one day, and I have no idea how to have a family. I don't know how to disciple kids. When we were in Portugal, just four or five years ago, I came under the same realization. I'm leading a team from the United States in Portugal and a new church in our home of about 15, 20 people, and I came to the conclusion, I have no idea how to lead people. Right? This, is, this was so real for me that I went back to seminary to get a master's in leadership. And you'd think I would feel more equipped now, but I'm just more aware of how I'm unequipped to lead. I just come to that conclusion every once in a while. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right? I don't know if you've ever felt that as well. You know, it doesn't matter the age. If you're an empty nester or have kids older, you just have those moments where you look over and it's like, honey, are we doing this right? <laughs> I don't know how to, you have a team of people at your job you're leading and it's like, am I leading right? I think we have the tendency to just lead how we've seen other people lead us, but we have the question, am I leading like Jesus would lead? Every year, people write into the ballots, every year, every election, people write into the ballots. Instead of either candidate, I would want Jesus. I'm voting for Jesus, right? And we wonder, what would it life be like if Jesus were president? I think we, we often have that realization as we look at society and culture, we see whether it be government, school boards, homes, because we see constant shootings. I think there was another one last night. We have a lack of healthy, good leadership in our country. What would it look like if men and women led like Jesus? Right? Israel was in the same boat. 500 plus years before Jesus, in our passage, our Old Testament reading uh, this morning, they were in the same thing. They were in captivity in Babylon, and, and God comes to them through the prophet Ezekiel, and he points to their leaders. You're here because of your leaders. This is what he says. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the 
shepherds of Israel. And he's not talking about the literal shepherds who have sheep. He's talking to the political slash religious leaders of the country. At that time, there was no such thing as separation of church and state. So the leaders of the country were political and religious at the same time. I kind of thank God that's not our situation today when you look at our leadership. But that's how it was. The leaders were, were political and religious at the same time. And they weren't acting like it. Right? And it's interesting, many times throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the shepherd of the country. And why is that? Because good leadership looks like a good shepherd in how he cares for and tends to sheep. Right? And so he continues his indictment on the leaders. He says, what are you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves? Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. This is what bad shepherding or bad leadership looks like. Right? Whether it's the home, whether it's in government, whether it's school, whatever it is, that's what bad leadership looks like. And God cares about how we lead. Bad leadership says, I'm the leader, so you serve me. Right? It's based on what is called positional leadership. If I'm the boss, you do what I say. And that's needed to an extent, but that's never, that will never build a, a grounds for trust in good leadership, right? It's when we're tired and we're arguing with our kids and they're like, why dad? It's because I'm your dad, just do it. And we have those moments like, I don't need to explain this to you, just do it. That is a basis of positional leadership. And, and yet good leadership will build the grounds of trust and love that goes beyond that. Everybody at, at this time knew it. They all knew what bad leadership looked like and they're waiting for something to come that was better, right? They're waiting for the shepherd that God had promised that would lead his people. Jesus said, I did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. And they didn't know it at this time, but that's exactly who they were waiting for. Because beyond the reading of this morning, God continues and he says in verse 15, Ezekiel 34, I myself will tend my sheep. I will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. And yet he goes on in verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant, David. David's long dead. They're waiting for the next David. And he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. So this future leader is someone who can encapsulate both the presence of the living God and a son of man in the line of David. And we know that that's Jesus, the good shepherd. And so here we are in John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, open up there. 500 plus years have passed and the same situation is happening with bad leadership over and over again. And we know that because last week Ben taught on John chapter 9 and what happened. Jesus uh, had encountered a man that was born blind. So for his whole entire life he has never seen. And he heals the man. He spits in the ground, makes mud, rubs it on his eyes, right? This is not COVID days. It's a little weird, but Jesus is perfect. I'm not, so not how to do it. But he heals the man. He says, go wash your eyes off, come back. And he's healed. And so everybody's astonished by this miracle. And what do the religious leaders do? They get angry. Right? They bring him before the synagogue, before the church, and start questioning him and try to use this man as political fodder to trip up Jesus. Tell us he's a sinner. Did he not heal you on the Sabbath? Then say he's a sinner. 
they won't do it. And we know they've already done this before John chapter 8. They bring in an adulterous woman, not the man also that was having adultery, just the woman brings her and uses her to try to trick Jesus, even to the point of taking her life. Law of Moses says, we've got to stone her, right, Jesus? What are you going to do? Bad leadership uses others for their own benefit. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, as we get into it now, gives this beautiful image of how he leads his people, how he shepherds us. Here we are, talking to the Pharisees in the middle of this blind man healing incident. He says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is the thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand. So Jesus starts off by showing them their bad leadership ways, the bad ways. that He basically says, look, you guys are the shepherds, but you're not even legitimate shepherds. You're climbing over the fence. That's how illegitimate people get into a house. They don't go through the door. They break through a window. And that's you. You've not been shepherding. You're so illegitimate, you're not even the shepherds. But this is how I lead. And he goes on to say, I lead in such a way, I call out my sheep, and they recognize my voice, and they follow me out. Right? I mean, what an image of intimacy and relationship there. You have to understand at that time, there could be a pen for sheep, and many families would actually share the pen. And so how do you recognize a bunch of big, fluffy, cross-eyed animals that all look the same, right? How am I going to call out 90 to 100 sheep and recognize them? So it wasn't based on the shepherd, it was on the sheep. They had spent so much time out of the pen listening to the shepherd's voice, listening to him sing to them, say their name, sing the psalms, and just worship the Lord on the fields that when he spoke, they recognized it. Just as Lance was saying with our children and our parents, right? There could be so much confusion. I don't know if this always works with my daughters, but there could be so much confusion and you could say their names and it's like, yes, dad. They knew his voice. They also trusted the sheep, the, the shepherd built trust into a sheep. Why? Because sheep know they're defenseless animals, right? They have a flight or flight mode only. They're defenseless. And so to leave the pen, there has to be trust. They have spent so much time when hungry and thirsty or defenseless following the shepherd, always being led to food, always being led to life, always being protected, that there's trust. Right? I, I, I've had this experience multiple times when I'm talking with someone who's older in the faith and I'm just kind of venting and talking about this hard stuff and at the end it's like, Logan, God's going to take care of you. It's all right. My God, I just wanted to vent. Don't take me to Sunday school. Jeez. But, but in the end, you know that it's true. It's like because they have gone through so many valleys and hard times and they've experienced God's goodness and provision over and over again that by the time that they're going through that and hearing your story, it's like, I've been there, done that, Logan going to be okay. You're good. David, in our psalm, was a man who was a shepherd and then king. And he wrote this beautiful passage, I think, reflecting on the shepherd qualities, the leadership qualities of God. Hear it one more time afresh. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of shadows of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. The Hebrew is a little bit more like pursue me, go after me in a violent way all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The goodness and love of God will hunt me down all the days of my life. That is the pursuing love of God to his people. And this is the way, believe it or not, that God wants to shepherd, lead you and I today. This isn't just for Old Testament times. This is for us today. I believe David, as he thought on his experiences with God, he could pen these beautiful words. Because this is a man who had lost his own child. Also to the other end of his other own child and enemies literally trying to take his life. And as he reflected on God's protection, on his goodness, on the days he was just a little shepherd boy known to no one, to the point of king and things falling apart and God restoring him. This is the way you've been. As I have followed by your side, this is the way that you have led me. That's the goal of Christianity. It's not that we would know more about God, but that we would know him in a way that his voice is recognizable and it's honey to our ears. First leadership trait of Jesus is that he builds trust and intimacy with those he leads because he pursues them in relationship. Jesus continues, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, though, that may have life and life to the full. It's really neat. He changes the imagery here. He's not only just the good shepherd, but he's the gate to the pen. What is he trying to say to that? Since the sheepfold was very often used as an image for God's elect, whole collective people, he's saying, I'm the only way in. Right? You can't climb over. I don't share my glory. I don't share my goodness, my, my reputation with Buddha or some other philo- philosopher or anybody else. I alone am the entrance into God's people. I will not share my throne with anyone. You can't get in illegitimately unless through me. And then he goes on to talk about the life that he wants to cultivate and bring into someone who follows him. It's life to the full or abundant life, maybe your version says. Right? I think we as, as, as evangelicals often have this idea that the work of Jesus was all about saving me and escaping to heaven. And that is not the hope of the gospel. Right? We know that Jesus is coming back to restore and recreate everything. He cares about his creation. He cares not only about people, but he cares holistically about creation. He doesn't want just me to get into the kingdom, but the kingdom to get into me and through me to continue through creation. Right? This is looking like someone who cares to invest holistically to make a more whole person, a more whole Logan. Not the broken one from sin that I have done and others have done to me, but build me up and invest in me so that I'm the whole complete image that I am. He cares about my marriage. He cares about my parenting. He cares about my emotions, 
right? We, we often can't express our emotions in church and other experiences because we think because we have Jesus, everything should be perfect. You no, know, he says, I create this room of grace where we're going to tend to brokenness and build you back up, right? That's the, 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 the goal of his shepherding with us is to create the full life in creation that I was meant to experience through the power of the Spirit. So the second shepherding quality of Jesus is he's alone God's gate to not only his people, but a full, holistically made well life. He continues and finishes his teaching on what it means to be a good shepherd of God's people. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In contrast, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. So in contrast, and in, in contrary to the shepherds that he was experiencing in his day, he does not see weakness and find a way to, to manipulate it and use it for himself. He comes to serve. There is no ulterior motive with Jesus other than the serving of his people. He, he, he serves to the point, as he is prophesying and pointing to here, of sacrifice, of the full giving of himself at Calvary. And he knows the end game. His life will be lifted back up by the power of the triune God. But his service and, the, and his servant leadership is the point of all of himself. And church, I'll be honest, I think at times, I think we've become almost bored or lost with the awe of the gospel, right? I think we've heard it so often, depending how long you've been a believer, we've heard it so often, maybe since a kid, maybe since whenever you were a teenager and started going to that youth group and, and started following Jesus. But we've become so bored that it does not captivate our minds and imaginations. Right? To think that the barrier that has been between me and God and the brokenness in creation was dealt by the God who took on creation to fix it, to break that barrier and fix all that was done to the point of him experiencing death, something he had never experienced before. Like that is an amazing and intense love that rivals the self-sacrificial parent because they do it for those who are their children. He did it for those who were his enemies first. Right? He would not abandon to destruction those whom he created in his image. To him, an image bearer is always just too valuable to leave behind. He does not only sacrifice for those whom he follows, but he also protects the sheep from the wolves. I love this is my favorite part. Right? He says the hired hand runs from the wolf. And he doesn't say it explicitly, but he's implying I'm different. I don't do that. When the wolf comes, I stare it down. Right? What did David say in Psalm 23? When I walk through the valley 
of shadow of death, I fear no evil. David has in his mind in the Middle East this idea of a big ravine going up. And because of the, the, the cliffs casting shadows from the sun, as you look through the valley, imagine these rocks and caves in, inside the walls of the ravine. And it's so dark in there, you don't know which one hosts multiple wolves. And so as he walks through, death could be a shadow away for a sheep in this. But he says, your rod and staff come from me. Some of us don't know this, but the rod was a, a, a hardened stick. So imagine like a modern-day baseball bat. He said, the baseball bat in the hands of the good shepherd comforts me because he bats with an average 1.0. Ladies, that means he doesn't miss. <laughs> the perfect batting average. That's so beautiful. So when the wolves are coming, my good shepherd has the baseball bat in his hand, and he's ready to take out that wolf. That's beautiful. When the wolf comes, he doesn't run. When the serpent comes, he doesn't run because he's a fighter. Right? He manhandles it to the cross and robs him of the power that he had over his sheep. Jesus protects his sheep from, his wolves, from the wolves. We get to the end of the passage here, and once again, there's division. Is this man demon-possessed? Is he crazy? Saying that he's the good shepherd? He's the gate? To the elect people of God? What is this nonsense? Others are, how can a crazy man, a demon-possessed man, heal the blind? What do we do with him? They're wrestling with the question that society and that every person has to wrestle with. What do I do with Jesus? Right? Who is Jesus to me? In our culture, uh, I think there's a lot of reactions to Jesus. For some, he's just a person in history, doesn't have any shepherding leadership qualities in my life. Just an interesting figure. To other, he's someone who uh, represents an old way of thinking, of morality, of right and wrong, and societal standards on questions of sexual ethics and the like. But to those who still will cry out to him for saving, for redeeming, a plea to Jesus, be my shepherd. I want that. He's a trusted leader that pursues his sheep. He's the gate to God's people in a full, whole life. He's the servant of his people to meet needs as well as a mighty defender against enemies. He just won't leave the sheep alone. I would say that if you're here this morning, like, man, that's what I need right now in my life. That's the shepherd. I need. That's the Jesus I need. Maybe it's not even the Jesus you have imagined before. That's the Jesus I need. I would encourage you, when we're participating in the Eucharist, there will be people in the back ready to pray. And whether it's pray for the first time or it's, I need to pray anew for the 10th time, Jesus be my shepherd. I need a new, fresh, Holy Spirit-empowered embracing of Jesus as my shepherd in that way. I would just encourage you to do that because we want to pray for you in that way. Because we're praying for ourselves in that way. Right? We as the staff don't have it all together. We're praying, Jesus, shepherd me in that way. Maybe you're here and you've been a believer a long time, right? So it's kind of, what do we, what do, we do with that? Oh, it's so good to be refreshed again. This is why I follow Jesus. But I would say, too, that Jesus has the desire that we would be imitators of him. So my question would be, who is it that you lead? That might even be a strong word, right? Who am I leading? Oh, I'm not leading many people. Who do you influence? Right? Who are you influencing in your life? 
And maybe there could be a spirit-guided evaluation of, Lord, I want to shepherd. I want to lead like you lead. Right? I know as a, as a father, I would throw myself in front of an 18-wheeler to protect the ladies in my family. And yet at times, it can be easy to just come home, turn on the TV, get snappy, whatever, and kind of tune out. Right? And I know for me, I'm challenged. Like, I need to pursue my wife and my kids' heart in that way. Because I know that I could provide the, a big home, work a lot, all the needs, but if my kids don't hear my voice and love it, man, it's been for nothing, right? Like, I want them, even when they're 20s, 30s, when they hear my voice, that they do what they do now. When I come home, they say, Daddy! And they run to the door and give me a hug, right? Same with wives to your husband, right? To pursue to know and, and, and build and cultivate that relationship. Maybe there's someone in your life, in a, a job, on your team that you work with, a student at your school, students. It's like, more than just leading, I want to build into you. Right? You hear that conversation and just say, oh, I'll pray for you. You say, you know what? My wife and I, we've, we've gone through that before. Can I just get you a buy you a coffee and we... I'd like to share my story with you. How can you and who in your life can you invest into to see a full holistic healing happen that represents and shows the desires of the kingdom by Jesus? Right? We're full in our society of injustices and just brokenness, you know? Who and how can you step up to protect, to say something? Right? If you're a student at school, you probably experience it a lot with bullying and things like, how can you step up? Not with a baseball bat like Jesus does, but how can you step up and protect? Who do I need to sacrifice for? And how can I holistically evaluate how I lead in my business, how I lead it, my, my, my spouse, my kids, my students, at the gym, whatever it is, collaboratively on a team horizontally or vertically as I'm above someone? How do I influence in a way that shows Jesus's shepherding qualities? In our time of reflection that we'll have, I would encourage you and challenge you to think about those in your life. Let's pray. God, Father, Son, Spirit, we are amazed at the way that you have chosen to shepherd your people. And we say yes to you. Please. We are sheep and we need leading like that. We're amazed by the fact that you want to and love to lead us in that way as image bearers of you. Help us as we influence and lead others that we could represent you. Help us, though, to be... To, empower us by your spirit to embrace you as the good shepherd in that way. That we could experience your shepherding, your leading to still waters and green pastures anew. For those of us who just feel tired and weary in our soul, we don't have that love and that joy, that excitement of, in our faith, I pray that you would just refresh us again, that we would find that. It would be that, that fresh joy of the youth group days or whatever it is, but it would be different. It would be a new freshness in our soul that you want to lead us in today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.